You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hello, welcome to the show. It is the middle day, the second day of the Boodles July Festival here on the July course in Newmarket. Rather different conditions to when I was speaking to you yesterday. It is very overcast, a heavy leaden sky, quite still at the moment, though the wind is set to get up and the rain, according to my forecast, is going to start in about 16 minutes time (laughs) from recording this. I'm recording this just after 10 o'clock. Alongside Lydia Hislop, I think it's fair to say a regular Friday correspondent to this to this podcast now. I think I think that probably is fair, particularly. Uh, you yeah, know, I think I was about to say particularly during the summertime, but no, I think it is. I am a regular Friday correspondent, yeah, aren't yeah. I? Is that something you particularly like about Fridays? Oh, it's the end of the week. <laughs> <laughs> that that helps. Um, I suppose quite often it means that we're both on course. Yeah. It's, you know, I can see the whites of your eyes while we're recording this podcast. <laughs> and if the whites of my eyes are white, then that's always a healthy sign. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on we go. We might start by talking about what we enjoyed here on the, on the July course yesterday. And I think Nostrum would be a good departure point because suddenly a horse has come along mid-season who we haven't seen since he was a two-year-old and he's added something to an already exciting group of three-year-olds. He's just added another dimension to the season. Horse trained by Sir Michael Stout in the Judmont colours, won the Sir Henry Cecil Stakes yesterday in the style of a a really special colt. Yeah, and going into that race, it looked like one of the deeper editions of it, I thought. There were lots of horses that have claims to be pretty decent this season, and he really brushed them aside. He cracked them one by one, and Besto, who finished three lengths second, is a promising horse in his his own right, but he, he couldn't get anywhere near Nostrum. The interest interesting thing is what to do next because obviously last season uh, he weren't at group three level at the tassel stakes over seven furlongs then he was third in the Dewhurst and I was trying to work out with Sir Michael Stout or I was trying to get Sir Michael Stout to, to say what he might do next and I wonder whether he might want to build back up slowly but I got the um, I got the impression that he would be more likely to go big what are you giggling at you were firing questions at him uh, rapidly and they weren't actually that difficult questions, but he then said, "Why do you keep asking me all these difficult questions?" <laughs> it was quite a fun interview. I mean, was he was great. he was he was he was being being humorous. Yeah, uh, I, I uh, what I took from it was that he thinks he's confident the horse will stay t- ten furlongs, but it probably won't be the next step. Uh, when I asked whether he was essentially was he going to build back up slowly to Group One class, he s- seemed to suggest that he wasn't going to. So my I took from that Sussex Stokes. Uh, we had Barry Mann said afterwards um, of, of Judmont said afterwards that uh, he mentioned the Lennox Stakes. He mentioned other races as well. Um, but I thought he doesn't this, want to go back to seven furlongs, does he? I don't think no. so. It's the it's the Sussex. I mean, I, I think that Stout, Sir Michael Stout was saying the Sussex Stakes without saying the Sussex Stakes. And Sir Michael Stout also said he wants to go up to ten furlongs at some point. I, I mean, he's by Kingman and he's not short of a bit of speed. I'm just surprised he's not in the Judmont International, given his ownership. No, absolutely, he is in the Irish Champions stakes however and as you say you know Kingman but on the dam side as well Mirror Lake was a pretty decent listed winner over 10 furlongs for Amanda Perrett wasn't she so you would think you you would be pretty confident that he would be able to stay 10 furlongs by that dint as well that would be why you would think that the Lennox is probably not suitable I'm looking forward to seeing him in the Sussex stakes that could be a cracker Against Paddington, yeah. potentially. Yeah absolutely against against Paddington. So Um, we're going to have the age-old problem of Stout needs a jockey. 
Good point. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Um, well, Richard Kingscote won't it be? Uh, you'd hope so. Yeah, you would hope so. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but obviously powerful owners have their own ideas and their own connections, don't they? And they can often overlay what might be established patterns within a particular stable. Um, and then there's, there's other horses coming back. I mean, there's, there's the likes of modern games as well who could potentially turn up uh, at, at the, the Sussex Stakes. And, uh, you know, Charlie Appleby needs a horse like that to be he performing with him, for him at the top level. He does, particularly given the eclipse of Adar yesterday, who really needed to win the Princess of Wales to sort of get his career rolling again and in fact it was the biggest blow that his career has taken and by some way definitely because the arguments going into it is he's a better horse at a mile and a half than 10 furlongs although he's got some very good form at 10 furlongs of course uh, he was on official figures he was 10 pounds clear of his ne- nearest rival but Isra still managed to beat him by four and a half lengths now that horse might be improving we might not have seen the best of him but there is no way of dressing this up and Charlie Appleby wasn't trying to afterwards uh, they'll go home try and work out what what was wrong that clearly wasn't him I, I put it to him does he still believe that Adia has still got it and he said that he thought the seasonal debut success in the Golden Richards rearranged to Newmarket suggested that he had but what you know what's it worth what's it worth you what, what do you think that's worth not, not much because I don't think Anne Matt was at his best that mm. day and the grey horse of Godolphins who was in that little mix isn't capable of much anymore yeah is that Highland Avenue yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree so I think it's I think that's um you're you're hanging a lot on that opening run I think because the two runs since then have not been good so really uh, we feel uh, sadly that Adair is exiting the top class stage but Nostrum is entering the top class stage so yesterday gave a little and took away somewhat as well the ground was quick the time in a forerunner Princess of Wales was right on the track record Mm -hmm. effectively and if he hadn't put water on it would have been like a road well Michael Prosser the director of racing and the clerk of the course here was talking yesterday on racing TV about the large amounts of rain he had been forecast on three different days, only tiny fractions of which turned up, but he couldn't react to those because there was more potential heavy rain due. Um, it's been a difficult forecast, I think, for him to deal with, with these large amounts of thundery showers in the area, which actually haven't hit. Now today, in a few moments' time, we're actually expecting a good solid blast of rain mm. for quite a bit. And that's significant because it will seriously affect the chances of the favourite in today's Group 1 via Sistina, uh, who we've spoken about an awful lot on this podcast over the last couple of weeks for various different reasons, most notably because she won that controversial running of the Pretty Polly Stakes, but she did so in the style of a very good feeling. She comes back to a a mile today. Uh, It's been an eventful 24 hours again for trainer George Bowie, hasn't it? Yeah, it it really has. So Soprano was withdrawn from today's Duchess of of Cambridge Stakes, and uh, that is because of what has been described as a medication administration error. Harry Herbert, who is the managing director of High Clare Thoroughbred Racing, who own the Philly Soprano, uh, is quoted in the Racing Post today saying that it was a shocker for the Philly shareholders. Essentially what's happened is that the horse that looks very similar apparently to Soprano in the neighbouring box uh, needed some medication for ulcers and mistakenly that was given to Soprano rather than the correct horse. And whilst the medication is perfectly valid, it can't be given within 48 hours of a race because it does take uh, contain substances that are against race day, race day rules. So you'd need to give it enough to exit time essentially from the body if you are going to administer it. I mean, he's it, it, Harry Herbert has, hasn't really minced his word. He said it's embarrassing for George. It's a staffing error. I mean, it, it definitely is. I mean, that, that is an embarrassing error. Yes. I, I, you'd think, wouldn't you, that 
Uh, Bowie, having trained a classic winner for High Clear last year, he's probably just about got enough credit in the bank. But you're only as good as your last as your last success definitely you? and I mean and Harry Herbert said that it's the first time it's happened to him in 30 in about 30 years experience I mean he, you that know, would have made him feel better he then. hasn't minced yeah, his words has he there's no soothing balm <laughs> here not, is there non-administered so, I mean I, I mean I get, I get it I mean it, 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 it is the it thing is, is if, you, if you're a syndicate boss and you've got I don't know a dozen 15 20 whatever like quite high end expensive shareholders to explain this to it's going to hurt isn't it it is I mean it, it's, a, it's a difficult position to be in I think for both people but um, I mean it's, that is a quite a serious administration error let's be frank about it um, yes George, George Bowie is always in the headlines it seems and he could yet be again if Via Sestina goes and wins this afternoon the five grand purchase dropping back to a mile she's great I really I really like her I thought, think he's brought her through really really well I thought it was an exciting start in the Dahlia she proved I mean at, at that time she she looked like a group one horse then running in in lesser company she's proved it in the irish pretty polly uh she is going to need the rain to fall i mean looking at the sky i mean there is a bit of rain around but it's not it, it doesn't look as though it's going to be substantial uh i think there's going to be quite a bit of course walking done by uh, bowie and his team george bowie and his team and, and they may decide against it i'm getting a big michael fish vibe here in 1987 and yes. it's going to absolutely smash it down well it's going to have to it's going to have to but you know are you a weather savant nope good I'm not a savant in any <laughs> in any respect whatsoever um, tomorrow the July Cup small field nine runners we've talked to most of the connections at one point or another on the podcast this week still can't work out who's going to win no it's a tough one isn't it um, there's lots of things that you can pick apart about various of the key players, I think. Uh, Shaquille is obviously a cult of huge ability, but he's taking on his elders. He has that issue at the start that he showed last time that he was able to overcome. But that was Ascot. This is here. This is against older horses in a much tougher contest. It just will be. It's the July Cup. So he's got to have learned a, a great deal from that. Then we've got, you know, little Big Bear, who's had some kind of a blip en route to here, and that would be of concern for you I've as well. I've got a bit of a hunch. Go on, give the me little hunch. Big, If little Big Bear's got one absolutely... Take, the, take all their trousers down performance this season it'll be in the July Cup why, why here is it something about the track I think he he's a horse who clearly likes to race forwardly and I think this track really suits that and he'll just get rolling along mm-hmm. and I think I think if he's going to put up a marquee performance it'll be tomorrow yeah you'd worry about the vibes going into the race but I wouldn't be surprised to see him back late and win he wouldn't want too much rain would he for that both for the scenario that you're saying and just thinking about his standout performance being on pretty quick stuff no I think I think you're probably right so if it completely hoses down that might that might count against him but just the nine a concern or not really uh, yeah a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a concern I I, I don't know the, the for, for, you mean for the, the sport in itself? Mm. I mean, yeah. I, I think the, the, the sort of overriding importance of those Ascot sprints does suck an awful lot out now, doesn't it? Yeah, but what the Jalai Cup should do is bring the bring three-year-olds from the Commonwealth Cup and the older horses and it has the done King that. Stand. It has and not the King Stand. We haven't got any fluky fives in here, have no. we? And again, you just talked about the, the scenario of the track. So you, that's what the July Cup really should be. It should be bringing the King Stand, the Queen Elizabeth II Jubilee Stakes and uh, the Commonwealth Cup all together in, in this race. And yes, it's, it's nine is, is disappointing. I think, I think you'd want a, want a bigger field like that. You'd want more three-year-olds, I think. Um, we should talk about Azure Blue. 
Mm. I mean, that was a huge Michael Dodds wanted rain in the interview that Tom did with him earlier he, in the Yeah, week. but it was very fast when she won the Duke of York. Yeah. Does he think that she'll just not face it twice? I don't know, but I, I'd say she'll run. Well, she should run. Uh, I think she's... I mean, I, I, if we're saying who we think is going to win, I think it's going to be her. I think she's imp- improving all the time. She doesn't do anything wrong. Um, she's adaptable uh, and she's really fast progressive. And, of course, tomorrow is a very big day for Ross Orion, as we heard yesterday. He gets the ride on Shaquille. Not only that, he's also riding a very good two-year-old, I think, uh, for Charlie Hills in the superlative stakes called Iberian. And Iberian is one of a couple of horses very well fancied on tomorrow's card where you need eyes in the back of your head for owners Team Valley Racing, who's Richard Ryan. Uh, first of all, told me how excited he was about Iberian. Oh, very um, hard not to be. He, he's he's a, a grand cult. Um, got a great page and a great model. Um, works very very flashy at times when asked uh, from his uh, enthusiasm. Very forward, actually, for, for a horse with his page, Luda Vega from um, a high chaparral mare. But, um, but yeah, I know that the talent is there for all to see in the morning, so we hope that it transfers as we go up in grade. Yeah, and you've got a, a big Godolphin horse in Great Truth and a big Coolmore horse in City of Troy dominating the market. I mean, you, you'll have seen what they've done breaking their maidens. Which one do you fear the most? I think you have to hugely respect Aiden. Anything he brings is always, um, uh, you know, of, of, of great worry if you're against them. Um, I happened to be at the, the, the track seeing that horse running through the line and then sort of nearly bumping into the white rails at the end of the car, which suggests he's got any amount of improvement and will stay the trip well. So I fear him hugely. And the horse that you run in the previous race, Havana Blue, has been a bit of a, a new market specialist. One here on the July course last time, prior to that one on the Roly Mile. Another excellent run on the Roly Mile at the beginning of the season. Um, is that something about him that particularly uh, is well suited to, to the undulations of, of these places? Or is it just coincidence? It's a slight coincidence, Nick. He, he, we, the three-year-old handicaps... Um, I, I, once you're rated in that banded um, between the sort of high 70s up to 100 seem to be um, dotted around the, the major group one tracks certainly in the spring and um, Newmarket had a number of those um, he's a big quality long striding horse that, with a turn of foot so Newmarket plays to his strength so we wouldn't be going to places like Chester with him or things like that so in effect, uh, he's a he picks the track himself, really. And is he a horse that you're looking to to head abroad with at some point? Is he one of those projects that could make up into a into a Southern Hemisphere horse? Do you think? I think he's he, he, he's very much that um, the the improvement that he's going to or that he's shown and hopefully keeps going with to fit his physique. Um, He's unusually scopy and rangy for 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 Havana Gray, um, a big, strong colt. But um, that, that hopefully today, or oh, sorry, today, um, Saturday proves that he'll get the mile. If he does that, then there are lots of more doors open up to us. Richard, thanks for talking to me. Thank, no worries. All right, that was Richard Ryan. Good luck to them tomorrow. Plenty more to enjoy on the show. But first of all, Lydia, uh, we ought to just touch on what happened yesterday uh, with the Oroctus uh, questioning of um, the IHRB. Our friend Darrow Lachlan was up again. Yes. 
this time it was in front of the Agricultural Committee um, and he'd just given his opening statements, which are, this is not a criticism, formulaic. I mean, it's, it's, it, that's how the, these formal procedures uh, begin. And then there was um, somebody whispered into the ear of the chair, Jackie Cahill, and the meeting was, te- was suspended. Um, it was assumed that this might just be administrative. This happens quite frequently. Um, but he came back and said that, in fact, that the uh, meeting has been adjourned and there'd been some sort of legal challenge. And I don't know what the source of that legal challenge is, but essentially it means that uh, proceedings in this direction have been kicked into the long grass because tomorrow is the final day um, of Parliament before the, the, the summer break. Um, and so we're, we're going to be waiting, I think, to hear f- uh, further light being shed on various issues at the IHRB for a while. Um, but one thing that Darrell Lachlan did say in his opening um, uh, statements uh, was that he was saying that uh, the issue, the governance issue of grave concern was not uh, related to, was not any question of misappropriation or personal gain. Um, so we yeah. didn't get any more actual yeah, so, detail. So he no, just made that no, nobody's had their hand in the till, basically. That appears to be what it is, but you know, let, let's see. Let, let's find out. But we're going to be waiting a while. We are, so into the long grass for a bit. We'll come back to that in September, yes. which I'm sure you're all delighted about, because <laughs> I know how much you love this. Everyone on the edge oh, of their they're seat. Just, they're just hanging on our every word with this stuff. But um, yes, that, that is the situation as regards what happened in the Irish Parliament yesterday. Well, if you are a regular listener to the podcast, and I know there are many listeners in in Melbourne and Sydney as well and all across Australia, you'll be well familiar with the fact that most of our European correspondents spend an awful lot of time talking about how great the prize money is in Australia. And this interview is going to be um, going to do nothing to disabuse you of that notion because the Everest, the, the great sprint race in Sydney, is now worth 20 million Australian dollars. I'm very pleased to be joined by Angela Bell McSweeney, who's a director of the Australian Turf Club and the Global Ambassador uh, for the Everest and, and the, the races that, that sit around the Everest. Um, that's a, a huge amount of money, even by Australian racing standards, uh, Angela. What sort of impact has that had uh, amongst race fans in Australia? Well, it's actually um, been brilliant. It, Nick, it's fantastic. Uh, we have a wonderful CEO of Racing New South Wales, who, in my opinion, is a genius, Peter Volandis, and he keeps increasing the prize money. And, of course, this is wonderful for the industry because people going into the industry with our very rich sprint races means uh, when they're investing money, if they do happen to win, they get a, a very quick turnover because um, we do breed wonderful, precocious two-year-olds in Australia. And now the uh, Everest is the richest race on turf in the world and the second richest race in the world. And it's going to be joined. We're very excited. We had a dinner in London post Ascot, post Royal Ascot, to announce that uh, we now have a new race, the $5 million King Charles III Stakes, which will be run, it's a mile race, and it'll also be run on Everest Day. So I guess the Everest is is really attracting a a new breed of of young people. We had 50,000 people attend the race course, and more um, more than half were under 35 years of age. So I think they love the excitement of it all. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the, the images, really, that has been most striking for, for a global audience. I think the crowd getting, getting whipped up 
during during Everest Day, which you, you just don't see uh, at other race meetings in, in quite the same way. If you were to sort of say in a couple of sentences how you've managed to draw uh, that demographic, how you've managed to draw that young crowd, what would you say? Well, I'd say there are several elements. Firstly, um, the marketing is always important. The fashion is important as uh, racing in Australia is a cultural import from um, England. We do dress. And uh, I think the young people love that sense of experience and that's what they all want. They want an experience. So going off to Royal Randwick, all dressed up and the colour for um, the Everest is a touch of blue so you'll see them all, you know, the boys will have their their blue ties or their blue shirts and the dress, the girls will have a, a touch of blue in their fascinators and it's also the marketing on the day um, we, the whole crowd sang Sweet Caroline uh, after the Everest and it was just, um, it was euphoric, it was uplifting and euphoric and, and I guess it's the excitement too to see these magnificent thoroughbreds running for such a huge amount of money and and you know better than anybody else that in order to increase that global profile yet further having international runners is going to is going to do that um how optimistic are you this year that you'll be able to draw participants from europe and perhaps even elsewhere other parts of asia and, and america maybe well, I was born an optimist, <laughs> so I'm always very optimistic. And we do have a, a great team working with us um, with Racing New South Wales and also uh, the Australian Turf Club, James Ross, uh, scouts the world and, um, you know, invites all the different international horses. And we have wonderful quarantine facilities. So I'm, I'm very hopeful that we'll have a very good representation of international horses this year. I know already that um, that John Quinn, who's been on the podcast a few times this year, has mentioned the Everest when we've talked about Highfield Princess, who won three three Group Ones in in Europe last year and was twice placed at Royal Ascot this year. Have you have you managed to to chat to, to that team about the possibility of her coming down? Well, I haven't, but James Ross more than likely has. So um, I'm quite sure. You know, we 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 keep James is just fantastic. He travels the world as I just mentioned, and um, of course I'm over here talking to as many people as I can. So I'm I'm quite sure with the type of prize money that we have that we will be attracting uh, more international horses. And and also for our breeders it's wonderful because I was speaking to um, Alan Smith yesterday who um, trains for the the Sheik in Bayran and he was saying, you know, he was even slightly considering mentioning that um, it might be a good idea to come down and buy some of our yearlings and, and, you know, have them trained in Australia. So this huge prize money is a wonderful, wonderful draw card and it is, as I mentioned, um, you know, it's the brainchild of Peter Volandis who keeps upping the ante. It was wonderful to hear him announce at the dinner we had uh, that the Everest would go from 15 million to now 20 million. So the whole carnival, uh, the 10-week carnival is worth $87 million, which is extraordinary money for a 10-week carnival. Well, it surely is. Uh, Angela, thanks so much for talking to me this morning. Best of luck uh, with this uh, promotion for the rest of the year. Thank you. Well, as you know, here on the podcast, we always like to support the work of Racing Welfare, Racing's charity supporting the workforce in every conceivable way. 
Hetta Harris, through her long and distinguished career in racing, has held a number of roles, many of them hands-on with horses, has now joined Racing Welfare in a completely newly created role. Hetta, just explain to us what it is you're doing. Thanks, Nick, for having me on. Um, so I have been appointed the Outreach and Engagement Officer for Racing Welfare for the Stud and Breeding Community. It's a brand new role within Racing Welfare that's been generously funded by the Gerald Lee Charitable Trust. And it's to engage with the stud and breeding community to let, keep them aware and let them know of the services out there from Racing Welfare. And it's interesting you say that. I've got a bit of experience in my role as head of the judges for the Thoroughbred Industry and Employee Awards. It is quite hard sometimes to, to reach the studs as readily as we reach the, the racing yards. But so many people employed in the, in the breeding industry in this country. Absolutely, it's a huge sector. Um, the training yards, they're obviously licensed through the BHA. You can go onto the BHA website, look up a trainer's yard and you know exactly where they are located. But the studs and pre-training yards aren't. So around the training centres here, we've sort of got quite a good handle uh, on the studs locally and they're aware of our services here in Newmarket and around Lambourne and up north in Moulton. But it's the more rural locations that we've really got a map find out where they are and get in there and, and make them aware of the services that are available. And particularly given Racing Welfare's you know, strong desire to make sure everyone feels enfranchised, everyone feels included, no one feels, importantly, no one feels isolated or, or lonely. Yeah, isolation and loneliness is, is the number one factor. COVID very much highlighted that. Um, there's a huge amount of support. We've got a check-in and chat service. For anybody that does feel isolated and lonely, we've got uh, volunteers that will speak to people on a regular basis. Um, so, yeah, we really want to make, make sure that everybody feels included. And as I say, it's a departure for you because you've, you've trained, you've pre-trained, you've done so many different things in, in racing. How are you finding this? Yeah, it's a big challenge. It took about a year for me to uh, muster up the courage and decide to, to stop uh, running my business. But I'm loving it. I'm very passionate about this horse racing industry. Um, I've spent 20 plus years in it and I really want to give something back. So I'm really enjoying the challenge. And not, not such early mornings for you, I guess, now. It's not a four o'clock job. Uh, not so much four o'clock job, maybe half past five, get up and go for a run. So trying to keep a little bit of a routine going there. The racing leopard cannot change its spots. It absolutely cannot. <laughs> racing Welfare is very lucky to have you. Um, and I hope it, uh, your contribution uh, helps the organisation go from strength to strength and, and really gives something incredibly valuable to the breeding community. Yeah, thank you, Nick. It's, it's really important. The breeding and stud community are a huge cog within this industry wheel and I think it's very important that they get the support uh, and help and, and feel valued within the industry. Well you'll have heard me say it before but it is no less true now than it was every other time I mentioned it. If you are in Newmarket you must visit the Horse Racing Museum, which is one of the great jewels in, in racing's crown. And I always refer to it as a, a bit of a hidden gem. I'm biased, of course, because I've been a trustee for the last few years. But it houses some of the most magnificent sporting art. But more than that, it's a, a really important hub for the community here in Newmarket. The chair of the trustees now is, is Francis Stanley, um, who is very much an integral part of the Newmarket community, both racing and outside the sport, and, and joins me now. Very kindly welcome me to her um, home at New England Stud. Uh, Francis, 
first of all, what sort of shape is the museum in now as we, as we speak today? That's so kind of you to ask, Nick. And I believe we're in a very good shape. We've got a fantastically tight team who are all enthusiastic and really very excited about the next coming months. We've got a programme which is full of something for everyone. And hopefully we won't be hidden very soon because we're hoping we're hoping to get a, um, an access onto the high street. Bill Gredley has put in planning application for us to go through one of his buildings on the high street, which will be an absolute game changer. Mm. It's an amazing site, historic site at Palace House. And to be able to walk from the high street there will be a, a massive boon for footfall, which is very important, and just welcoming more visitors from the, from the area as well. It has that amazing collection of sporting art for, for people who are interested, but also you've got exhibitions that... Are, stretch far beyond the confines of, of horse racing. Just just tell us what's in the museum at the moment. Well, we've really actually, we're pushing out the boundaries at the moment. We've got the most incredible exhibition, which is featuring Banksy. Um, it's got a, a slightly deceptive title in being Urban Frame Mutiny in Colour, which might make people think that it's not a Banksy exhibition, but we've got at least 25 Banksies in our exhibition, which is, I believe, the, the biggest density of paintings in an area for street art, for his, for his street art there is. So we're really excited. We've had some fantastic visitors who literally think that they, they've, they've arrived in a kind of London museum and actually they're a new market. So please come and see us. Um, there are Damien Hirst, there's a Tracy Emin, there's a few other artists that maybe people wouldn't be more familiar with, but it's, um, it's a... It's a new um, exhibition that we are very, very proud of and we are looking forward to welcoming more visitors to look at it. That's incredibly exciting, a really groundbreaking exhibition for the museum. Tell me a little bit about Ripley, about whom people will have heard quite a bit this summer if they've been at Epsom and Ascot, but this seems like a pretty good home for, for, for his exhibition. Well, we're so lucky. One of our trustees, Janie Grosvenor, has got a wonderful connection with the Household Cavalry and through her... Um, introduction we've actually got the household cavalry playing on foot tonight in the museum uh, we are pretty much sold out by tickets but i'm sure that the locals will be hearing it through their walls between 6 and seven thirty. um ripley basically is supporting this because he has done these magnificent paintings of the household cavalry that's the blues and royals and the lifeguards who have been on display in the coronation and also in uh, the birthday parade and um, they've come here really to support us, but also support Ripley, because Ripley actually gave a set of these to the king for his coronation present this year. I can't wait to go down and, uh, and see that. Um, finally, Francis, just explain in, in your mind why, why you believe the, the museum is so important to, to horse racing, why it's so important to the sport. We really are the collector of the heritage of horse racing, um, which is what we're staying true to. But we're also trying to appeal to another audience. And we found ourselves in a juxtaposition where you can actually see a Stubbs in the morning, a Banksy at midday, and a horse in the afternoon, a live horse, which which we can't really do anywhere else, I don't believe. I think we're in a unique situation. So please come and support us. It's actually not our museum, it's your museum. And we really need your support. Well, my thanks to Francis. We will be back to the National Horse Racing Museum next week and each week with a little segment. I'm back here on the July course now. And guess who I'm with to round off the show? Yep, you've got it. The man who 
the man who doesn't exactly make the bottle sigh as you're supposed to when he opens it, Neil Phillips. And a, a bottle of... How are we pronouncing R- this? R- Ruggieri Prosecco Rosé. I thought we haven't tasted Prosecco Rosé on the Nick Luck pod before, so I thought we would today. That's because Lydia Hislop always says champagne only, please, no Prosecco. <laughs> it is. I don't know what's gone wrong here. Now we see the real reason why I tend to do Fridays. Okay, it's fizzy and it's pink. So tell me a little bit about the Ruggieri <laughs> yeah, so Lydia, it's Friday, Neil. Come on, fill the glass. I was sort of doing a sommelier pour there, wasn't I? I mean, Damon's also wanting some. Right. So we, give, me, give me a bit of a Prosecco yeah, lesson, yeah, because I'm go. a bit of a snob about Prosecco, well, as I've said that's before. Why I thought we'd do this. Northeast Italy, two regions, Veneto, Friuli, Venezia, Giulia. Rosé was introduced, first came over to the UK in 2020, so quite a recent piece, but obviously the white cells of Prosecco Rosé, we import around about 115 million bottles of Prosecco into the UK, massive increase since you take back, say, 2013, 2014, but Rosé only came in quite recently, about 10% of the production, and it's brought a lot of new people into Prosecco. Glera is the main grape variety, G-L-E-R-A, and the grape variety you will know that gives you the colour is Pinot Nero, Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir. Yeah, and that's what gives you the colour. Can you talk to me about the maceration? <laughs> Listen to Nick Luck. You heard it yesterday as well, everybody. He's just been out of champagne and he's, he's going for it now. Nick Luck sommelier here as well as racing broadcaster. Right, so... You're going to watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know there's been roles reversed or something. But... Now, so you know, Nick, <laughs> second fermentation, this is great, second fermentation in bottle in champagne, yep. second fermentation for pretty much all Prosecco is in tank, Martinotti method, Charmat method, so it's a pressurised tank, but it's still a second fermentation, okay. but it's, it's a much quicker process, because you need to drink these wines much younger, okay? So have a taste, it's I very... I drink this wine now. Yeah, yes, Lydia, very- what's it like? very light I like you I'm a bit of a a bit of a snob about that about this my sisters really like Prosecco <laughs> come on give us because I wanted to show you this well, you know I'm terrible at describing it carry on cool. right very pale salmon this is a dry style of Prosecco rosé and certainly for me the Pinot Nero everybody wants to have this kind of pale salmon colour now by the way that sort of Provencal colour with rosé because we like that stuff certainly dry but it's very soft that's the thing about the Glera but it's very easy to drink and I think it's really well made and this is a very good producer Ruggieri Nick what do you think Um, yeah, actually, I, I, I don't dislike it. That's, Here we that, go. That's as good as you're getting. Um, at, least it, <laughs> at least it's not overly sweet. I, I kind of uh, associate Prosecco with being overly sweet, and that is definitely not. It is dry, yes. and it's very light. I actually don't, I don't dislike it. I, I, I will definitely finish that glass. <laughs> well, no one was ever doubting that, Nick. <laughs> yeah, Damien, Damien Adams is back from the Jockey Club Executive Chef. In front of me here, how can I describe this? I've got a hemispherical bomb. Um, <laughs> within it, within it, crushed nuts. There is what appears to be half a walnut whip on top, some crumbled biscuits around the outside, some small triangles of gel, and what I can only describe as a, a healthy smear of chocolate. On the plate now, Damien is actually going to describe this much more beautifully and tell me what this is. This is a plant-based dessert, Damien. Yes, it is, Nick. Yes, it's a plant-based dessert. Um, so what we have is a chocolate and hazelnut flavour within the dome. Um, gluten. Dome. It's also gluten-free as well. Um, the jelly is a frangelico jelly, which yeah. is a hazelnut liqueur, um, and then the biscuits that you described are actually <laughs> gluten-free <laughs> brownies. Which, um, which, yeah, so we've also got some candied hazelnuts on there as well. 
Okay, that's a much better description from, <laughs> from Damien. Damien. Can you always come along? <laughs> just, just, to, just to trim Nick in this kind of way, it'll be perfect. Okay, well, I'm not going to get trim now if I eat all of <laughs> no, this. That's true. But uh, you're going to taste it for I me. A um, plant based dessert. What's not a plant based dessert? Well, so generally with desserts, you would have cream. Oh, okay. okay. Dairy products, okay, so yes. Yeah. So, so the substitutes for this, we would use non-dairy milk products, um, like oat So this milk. is fully vegan? Yes, it's fully vegan, yes. So we would use, um, you know, di- di- different alternatives for your milk. Um, we would use um, plant-based gelatins, setting agents, um, yeah, that kind of thing, you know. Does it, does it give it a sort of lighter overall feel because it's sort of you know when i see something like this i always expect it to be quite heavy yeah i mean the desserts have definitely definitely come a long way um in the last couple of years and you know kind of the more we do them the more the, the better we're getting at doing them um yeah i, I think this is a really light nice oh, chocolate delicious. dessert it's not too heavy mm. um it's just what you want at the end of a meal that is actually delicious it really is you, you can't really tell the difference mm. between between the two now we're, we're, we're moving on that far with them so we do actually have on every one of our menus here in Newmarket, there is always a plant-based dessert available on the choice menus mm. that is really nice you'll see wash it down with some prosecco well you give everybody the winner mm. <laughs> of what, I mean, whatever you like, really. Um, I'm going to York this afternoon. Okay, and we should just say, not giving York enough love, excellent two-day fixture beginning today, John Smith's Cup tomorrow, cracking race. John Smith's Cup, one of my favourite handicaps of the year. That's not where I'm going for the tip. I'm going for the summer stakes You're not today. tipping Scampi for race yet. I, I think <laughs> Scampi will run an absolute stormer. Um... Yeah, just for people who might be wondering, I'm a consultant to race share, the micro... Well, I mean, I Sorry. think that I should, I should say, because... We all love micro share syndicates on well, the show. I, I, know, I know that you love them as well. I mean, I genuinely think they're a great way for people who haven't got a lot of money to spend to experience you know, ownership. And when they run well, which race share is, then I think that, that it's a really great experience. Scampi's been a complete star for race share so far, winning at the Dante Festival. Last week, a really good second in the old Newton Cup, now dropping back to 10 furlongs. Looks as though he's got the sort of speed to be able to do that. He's also got a win and you're in place in the e-ball. But no. He hasn't had his chips yet, has he? He has not. He has not. Do you know no one's used that pun yet? Um, (laughs) uh, I'm going to the summer stakes today. Scampy fries rivals. (laughs) Please stop. (laughs) You're desperately thinking of another one, aren't you? The race share principle is going to be loving. (laughs) Um, I'm going for the summer stakes today at York. So that's the 2.40 on Friday at York. And it's Mama's Girl dropping down to six furlongs. When she won the Nell Gwyn, I thought that's a sprinter, not a miler. We're finally seeing her over six furlongs. It's also a, a drop back down in grade. Um, yes, she's got swing along to beat, but I think that she's a pretty big price for what she has achieved and what she's capable of. Cheers, Lydia. Thank you very much. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Damien. Cheers, Thank you, Thank Cheers, you very Lydia. much. Enjoy Super Saturday. Do they still call it that? There's nothing. I think. Or what did we say before? There's nothing super about that Saturday now, in, now, in, now we're in premierization land they're rowing back <laughs> from calling it Super Saturday are they? all Saturdays sodding are, Saturday all Saturdays are super in premierization <laughs> yes. land exactly okay Super Saturday tomorrow enjoy it all wherever you are whether you're at Ascot York Newmarket Chester is still Chester still involved Chester still, Chester's still, there, still involved yeah, absolutely. and everywhere else um, should be great fun it's July Cup Day and this is the second day of the Boodles July Festival Um, We will be back with you on Monday. Don't forget you can tune in tonight from 9 o'clock, the Saturday edition with Charlotte, but from Lydia and from me and all our team here, it is goodbye for now.
You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.